Welcome to another episode of the Vineyard Nordic podcast. My name is Jon and I will be leading you through the conversation. The Vineyard Nordic podcast is the best way to stay up to date with the latest news and inspiring stories relating to how God is at work in the Vineyard Nordic community. I stood on the platform and I was just so happy that we weren't in China anymore. And I just took a look off to the right and I fell to the platform. I broke and I was down there crying. I just was seeing these images of every person I encountered in China and seeing how they were lost, just broken and no hope. And I went from couldn't wait to get out of China to couldn't wait to go back. Today I'm very happy to speak with Jim Mamper, who is an American and now living in Sweden. He's married to Ingmarie and together they have two kids. In today's episode, Jim is sharing about his own life stories of being a missionary, being called to China and to other parts of the world. And we also talk about the early days of the vineyard. Uh, Jim was part of the desert vineyard back in the days. And we hear how the vineyard movement took place uh, and also how it led to the Nordic countries and especially Sweden, where he was also part of the beginning. I hope this episode will inspire you and also help you to learn a little bit more about our vineyard history. So let's start. Very welcome again to this podcast episode. And I'm very happy to have Jim Mamper with me today. And we're going to talk about the vineyard history and also, of course, about Jim. So very welcome, Jim. Thank you, Jung. So good to have you here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. Yeah, I've had a, some a bit of a health uh, crisis the last few months, but I'm getting back back on my feet. Yeah. yeah. How are you? I'm doing fine. I would say just had a good relaxed weekend. So, and it's the start of 2022. So I'm uh, happy to be get going again after some vacation i heard you had this really what you say the covid really hit you in in the fall when we were supposed to record the first time actually yeah yeah it really did it hit me uh i mean it ended up in the hospital it wasn't so bad they call it a medium case of covid but yeah it was i needed some help so i ended up in the hospital it's better today it was it was worse what happened when I was in the U.S. a month later, getting a bacterial pneumonia, yeah, that put me in the hospital for a week. Yeah, but now I'm alive. Yeah, you're alive, and you managed to come back to Sweden again. I did. Yeah, it was nice to be here for the holidays and be here with family and all that. Yeah, how is it to be back in Sweden again, living here after many years in the U.S.? Yeah, good. I I love Sweden. I will say, coming back from California this last time. I had a little bit of a shock of the cold. Wow, this I don't know if I'll ever get over this, but I'm already over it. <laughs> yeah, it's going quite fast to get used uh, to. Yeah. If you were to describe yourself with three words, what would those be? I would say fortunate. I would say thankful and uh, content, happy. Can you share some thoughts around each word? Like what makes those standing out? Yeah, fortunate. You know, I think that having traveled around the world quite a bit, that being born where I was born, I was very, very fortunate. 
to have, you know, running water, having electricity, a lot of those kind of things. So I think that there's a lot of thought about that. And I do, given the situation in my home country in the U.S. right now, where there's a lot of talk about uh, racism and things like that, you know, there are some privileges that I've had just in me being who I born the way I was. The other one thankful, and that is that, you know, I'm just in general terms, very thankful for all the things that God has done and that he does in my life and with my family and overall my general disposition whenever I pray is just to begin by saying thank you. Thank you, Lord, for, for all your goodness. And content, I mean, content is a great word. It's kind of a, a default or kind of a, a word that's kind of lame in a way. But at the same time, I'm happy. I'm happy with where we are right now. And I like what the future is showing, if I can live and be a part of it. Yeah. To tell the listeners a little bit shortly about yourself, and you're going to share a little bit more from your life later, but who are you and what are you doing in life today? Well, I do have a bivocational ministry, I would say. So I do. And I work in the US for the most part, but I do that remotely. Then the other thing is Ingmarie, my wife, and I just started as the first Olnetta for Vineyard and North Shipping as of the first of the year. And that's kind of new, uh, new old. We've been there before, but it's a completely different church now and different situation. So I think there's a lot to look forward to. If I could say this, if you want to say who am I, I think over the last 10, 12 maybe more years, I've come to realize that in terms of my ministry, that both of us, Ingrid and I, are really more missionary than not. Yeah. You know, we would be defined more as being missionaries than we would be your classic church pastors or leaders. We're, yeah. we're driven by mission. Yeah, you've been reaching yeah. out to a lot of people like in your local context, both in the U.S. and now in North Shopping. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that would be nice to hear maybe more about that. But so like in the podcast, I usually ask some quick questions here to get to know you a little bit more. So what do you like to do on a free day? I like to just enjoy being outside or taking a, taking a nice walk. Right now, because we moved into a house a couple of years ago and needs a lot of work, I end up spending a lot of my free time doing little piddly things around the house. But I like to watch a movie. Mm. Love watching movies. Like to watch sports. Yeah. What movies and sports, sports are your favorites? What kind of movies and sports? Movies. I like drama probably more than anything. Sometimes the true true stories are based on true stories. Not always. And yeah. I also like things like Star Wars and Marvel Universe and all that stuff. Yeah. And sports. I'll say I'll say this because we're speaking English. I'll say soccer. I like soccer. And I like uh, American football, and <laughs> I like hockey. And then beyond that, there would be Formula One. Yeah, That's good. So quite a wide range of sports and movies, I would say. Yeah. What is your definition of leadership? I guess I would say motivational influence. Being able to motivate and influence towards action, towards the goal. So like uh, going before and show the way and it could it could be both going before and showing the way 
it can also be inspiring others towards action that maybe you might not be a part of. Yeah. So being an influencer, speaking yeah. of a word that is very common right now, being an influencer. And what are you dreaming of right now in life? I would say getting back to a little bit more real missional activity. I mean, we're already doing some, but I'd like to do it a little bit more full on and full full time somewhat and be able to, you know, shed the job that I have so that I can do more more things related to to mission both here and abroad we're working on right now. Yeah. Sounds really good. And to get to know you a little bit more and to go a little bit deeper, we usually ask the one who's in the podcast to share like three situations or happenings in in your life that have shaped who you are today and and what the turning points were in those stories. So, I mean, feel free to go ahead and share about a little bit deeper from your heart. Yeah, so I'll start with my time of salvation, I would say. When I got saved, I was 23 years old, just turned 23, and I was driving a truck, and I was just kind of living life for myself and drinking and all that kind of stuff. So a friend of mine who was a Christian, she kind of gave me, I would say she witnessed to me, and her witness to me was that I was going to go to hell. And uh, that was basically the gospel. <laughs> Good gospel. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and the interesting thing was, when I first started driving a truck, I, we stopped at a hotel and had to spend the night, and I picked up a Bible. And it was the first time ever in my life I picked up a Bible. And I started to read it. I read about nine chapters or something like that. And then, for me, I used that as a defense whenever she would try to talk to me about God. And I'd tell her, hey, I, I started reading the Bible, even though I really didn't. And a week later, I got a Bible in the mail from her. And she told me to read in the book of John. So I did. And then came the you're going to hell story. And about three days later, I found myself in Cheyenne, Wyoming, on a Sunday. And... Um, over the course of the two or three days since she told me I was going to hell, I had a major spiritual battle going on inside my mind. And I really thought I was going to go to hell. And it freaked me out. So that Sunday, I walked into a Baptist church and I gave my life to the Lord. And I came back to the evening service at that church and the pastor was preaching from Ezekiel 22. And it was a passage about standing in the gap. And I think that for the most part, when people talk about that passage, passage, they talk about standing in the gap in prayer. And that's what oftentimes people preach. What it says in that passage, it's really talking about judgment and how the it says her priests do violence to my law profane my holy things they don't distinguish between the holy and the common they teach there's no difference between this unclean and the clean they shut their eyes 
to the keeping of the Sabbath, so that I'm profaned among them. It says her officials within her are like wolves, tearing their prey. They shed blood and kill people to make unjust gain. Her prophets whitewash these deeds for them by false visions and lying divinations. They say this is what the sovereign Lord does when the Lord has not spoken. The people, the land, here's where it really is kind of, you know, is, uh, gets to the point. The people of the land practice extortion and commit robbery. They oppress the poor and the needy and mistreat the alien, denying them justice. And I look for a man who would, among them who would build up the wall and stand before me on the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it, but I found none. And at the end of that teaching, he asked if anyone wanted to stand in the gap. And I stood up, and I just, you know, sincerely said, Lord, I want to stand in the gap. And really, it was standing on the gap of injustice. Mm. And, and I come to realize that, for me, that's not just about prayer. It really is about speaking up. It really is about engaging with people who are unfairly treated. And that's something that's really marked me is actually going to the places where people are mistreated. Now, I often look at that passage as something related to nations. You know, so I ended up living in China. I ended up living in Russia, Soviet Union, you know, and I've always equated or often equated that with those kind of countries. But later in my life, I realized that it really has a broader term broader perspective so that's something that's marked me yeah and it, I, I think it's interesting that that kind of clear and what do you say black and white <laughs> preaching from this girl actually led you to to search for the truth yourself like you're going yeah. to hell and yeah. today we talk yeah. a lot about being seeker friendly and stuff like that and if someone were to say that today maybe that would just you know <laughs> We think that would just get people to go the other way, but this time it's actually helped you to go forward towards God. So I think that's yeah. really interesting and really good to hear. I was going to say, back in the day, you know, in the 80s here in Sweden, they were showing these movies, The Thief in the Night, and, you know, where the rapture happens and the parents get raptured and the kids are left behind kind of thing. Yeah. And um, I think that scared a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, really good story to hear. And, and uh, what other parts have shaped you in your life? Yeah, so a couple of years later, I was very involved with the Vineyard Church. And it was in the desert, called the Desert Vineyard in Lancaster, California. And that church, when I came into it, was starting to get involved with missions going out to other countries, you know, Zimbabwe and and all that, and they were doing, starting to do some things in China. I I kind of didn't necessarily feel for China at the time. You know, we had read a number of books about martyrs and all that from the Eastern Europe, and I was kind of drawn to Eastern Europe at the time. But I was invited to go on a trip to China in 1982, and I'd been a Christian for a couple years now, And on that trip, 
we were able to go to China. We were traveling around China a lot. Uh, it was me and one other guy. And we were on a trip that most white Westerners could never go on. And we got a visa that was really more reserved for overseas Chinese. And our mission, we were working for Open Doors at the time. And our mission was to just see how far we can get in China and how much contact we can have with people. So most people that went to China were taking Bibles in. We only took two each. And uh, because that wasn't what our goal was. And they had no idea how long we would be there. So we were there for six weeks. And we traveled pretty much all, all around the if you split the country between east and west, the entire eastern half of China we had pretty much covered. And 16 different cities, and it was a very difficult trip. So when we left China, I couldn't wait to get out. You know, we were standing at the border in Guangzhou, or actually a city called Shenzhen, which is at the border of Hong Kong. And I kept on looking at Wayne, this other guy I was traveling with, saying, we're almost out, we're almost out, we're almost out. And I couldn't wait to get out of China because it was a difficult trip. It was also rewarding in one way, but it was, it was difficult traveling the way we traveled. You know, all the lowest class travel, you know, and what you call hard seats, hard beds, and all that. And as we crossed the border, I was just elated that we were no longer in China, and we were in Hong Kong. And I was, we bought a plane, we got train tickets to go back into the city where we were going to stay. And I stood on the platform, and I was just so happy that we weren't in China anymore. And I just took a look off to the right, which is like looking towards the country of China. And you see this big fence that's maybe, you know, 10 meters high with a barrel roll, what do you call that? Barbed wire and the guard towers. And I fell to the platform and just, I broke, you know, I just cried. And I was down there on the ground <laughs> crying for an hour and a half. And during that hour and a half, an hour and a half, I just saw a slideshow of like every person I encountered in China. And it was something obviously that God was doing because I, I just was seeing these images after image after image of these people we met and seeing how they were lost and just broken and no hope. And it literally broke me, it just broke my heart. And an hour and a half goes by and my, my poor traveling partner, <laughs> he didn't have this experience. You know, he's just waiting to get on the train and, you know, six trains went by and I'm still on the ground. <laughs> so finally could get up and got on the train. 
put my sunglasses on. And all I could do was pray that nobody was going to be at the guest house and we were going to stay because I just wanted to cry some more. And no one was there. So I went up to the roof, which was just one floor above where we were staying, and cried for another hour. And until Wayne came and got me and said, the, the host is back home so I can go back in. And I went from couldn't wait to get out of China to couldn't wait to go back. My heart was absolutely broken. And that was the moment that I realized that, I mean, I'm looking back at it, that's probably the most, other than giving my life to the Lord, influential time in my life, because that's where I got called. Mm. And, so that uh, was like the profound, what do you say, calling for your life in a way? Like really cool to see how it can go from just wanting to get out and then God kind of show his his plan and like, no, that's not the way you should go. Here it is. Yeah. And, and really give you yeah. that that heart and hunger for the people. And it was so much so that I ended up two years later or a year and a half later working for Open Doors. Yeah, it was two years later, actually. Two years later, I was working for Open Doors in Hong Kong. And then I ended up living in China, you know, for a couple of years. I mean, what a change. Yeah, really. <laughs> From I can't wait to... Can't wait to get out. Yeah. You know? mm. Yeah. Thank you. Number three, new Christian in the desert vineyard. And we had a Tuesday night Bible study. Oftentimes we called it Tuesday night lab. So it was a place where we would have a Bible study and then we would practice doing kingdom stuff, you know, practice. And it was always geared towards the outside the church that we would use these gifts outside the church. So we would practice them inside the church building. And it would be my first time that I got a word of knowledge. And it was for someone who had problem hearing, someone in their left ear. And I just had that thought. And people were sharing words of knowledge. And I struggled with that word of knowledge. Should I speak it? Should I not? Should I speak it? Should I not? In the end, I didn't. And as soon as I decided I wasn't going to do it, a kid, probably nine or ten years old, speaks up and says, someone has a problem with hearing in their left ear. And that person got healed right then and there. And you know, I went away thinking, wow, I wish I would have spoken up because I had that word. So the next week at lab, I get another word, and it's the exact same word. Now, now you're thinking, you know, is this real or is this me just reliving last week or whatnot? But at the end of the day, I had to speak up. I didn't have to, but I just chose to speak up. And someone else responded to that and also got healed. Wow. And it was a, a time where I, it was probably my first moment of learning how to walk in faith. And that experience, you know, 
extended over many other situations, sometimes marked my life, you know, pretty, pretty strong, I would say. And I have some really incredible experiences from my time living in Hong Kong and China that are just, I mean, absolutely miracles. And I wouldn't have had them if I had not followed that, you know, if I didn't learn how to grow in faith. Mm. Yeah, that's so good. I mean, I can also relate to that. Like the first time you really see that what you're talking about actually works in the practical, like really seeing those miracles happen or you try something and it actually works or... I mean, not all the time it, it's the healing is happening, but even even those times it, it gives you something, it gives you faith, it gives you like this courage to try again. It's not always success stories, but just trying. And in the end, you see something happen and you grow from that. And then it's it's actually helped you to, yeah, take the gospel <laughs> to out in the world for real, like in the practice, not just talking about it. And I think that's so a core value of the vineyard to really do the stuff and to 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 see things happen and and everything like that and and today we had planned to talk a little bit more about the vineyard story like for for me I'm I'm not so old not what I think is at least and I mean there's a lot of other people in the in the Nordics that's not been maybe in the vineyard for a long time and and I think it would be nice to hear a little bit like how was the movement started how, how what did it come out of and and how did it then move also to the Nordic? And I know you've been part of, of the vineyard from very old days. So that's why it's so good to have you here today also to talk about these things. So maybe you can, I mean, start off and share a little bit from the start and so on. Yeah. So if I talk about the start of the vineyard, I mean, my my start in the vineyard was 1980. So it wasn't in the beginning but it was before what we call the vineyard movement. So I think that there's two different kind of histories of the vineyard that run somewhat parallel and intersect with each other. And I call them the start of the Vineyard Christian Fellowship, which was like the name of the first vineyard church and the start of the vineyard movement. I was part of Vineyard Christian Fellowship And I see some aspects of those two histories, I guess, as being somewhat different. They have some differences. So the first vineyard started in 1974, and it was a guy, a pastor named Ken Gullickson. And he started a church in, people say West Hollywood, Santa Monica, West LA area. But 1974... Ken Gullickson went and planted the first vineyard church. And it was a part of the Calvary Chapel system. So you had Calvary chapels, and they were growing all over the place. And it was really about reaching hippies, you know, in some ways, you know, on the beach or in the streets. People who wouldn't normally go to church or don't feel welcome in church. And the vineyard or the Calvary Chapel made them feel very welcome. So... That movement was growing, or that, yeah, that movement was growing. And Ken just wanted to call his church something different. So he just called it Vineyard Christian Fellowship. Out of, so that was in 1974. In 1977, they planted their first 
church out of that church, which is a desert vineyard in Lancaster, California, with Brent Rue, Brent and Happy, who planted that one. And, and then there were four others that went out between 77 and I would say maybe uh, 1981. Parallel with this, John Wimber had a church in Calvary Chapel, Yorblinda. There were a lot of pastors in the Calvary system that were looking for a father or looking for an older brother, someone who can help mentor them. And Chuck didn't do that. Chuck Smith didn't do that. So John Wimber was doing that. And, and he would have a group of pastors that would join him that wanted to be mentored by him. And Chuck Smith, who was the founder of Calvary Chapel, you know, said, yeah, you can go ahead and mentor them. And then sometime in the 1982, there was some tension, I think, you know, with, with people being more drawn towards John Wimber and him wanting to see Chuck doing more mentoring. And Chuck just didn't feel that that wasn't his thing and told Wimber he can go and do that if he wanted. And Ken Gullickson was pretty strongly tied with John Wimber at the time. And they talked. And so John Wimber's church, they left the Calvary Chapel uh, movement and became a Vineyard Christian Fellowship. And that happened in 1982. Now, this is two years after what we call that famous Mother's Day service in Calvary Chapel, Yorba Linda, where um, Lonnie Frisbee was there and preaching and and as Wimber says, all hell broke loose. <laughs> yeah. Just the whole, yeah. Maybe you can share that shortly. Yeah, so Wimber had, he invited Lonnie Frisbee to come and speak at his church. He was a little bit nervous. He thought he might be a little bit of a reckless guy or something like that. But he had been a part of, you know, the Calvary Chapel, and he had led a good number of people to the Lord. I mean, he was just kind of a hippie preacher is what he was. He was kind of a street preacher, but he also moved very powerfully in the spiritual gifts. He came up on the stage, and he just said, come Holy Spirit. And when he did, the Holy Spirit came in really power in the room. Now, I wasn't there, and I've heard about it, and I've met Lonnie, and I've seen Lonnie, and minister and all but the holy spirit just came so powerfully in the room and and people were falling and people were getting healed there's all kinds of things that were that were happening and it really changed wimber it changed the way that he was pursuing whatever he you know whatever he was leadership in his church and uh, he kind of went all in on on doing the stuff mm. And out of this, when I mean, when, if we go forward to 1982, what took place after that? In 1982, yeah, yeah. So when he, so when he did that, so the vineyard was a part of the Calvary Chapel system. You had six churches. When Wimber joined, about 20 or 30 other, I think it was 30 other Calvary Chapel pastors joined in, and they left Calvary Chapel and align themselves with John Wimber and the 
and the, the vineyard. And that's kind of when the vineyard movement birthed. And this is where I see a little bit some differences between Vineyard Christian Fellowship and Vineyard Movement. Vineyard Christian Fellowship was so much a part of Calvary Chapel in its inception. There was so much on reaching on evangelism, you know, reaching people who were unsaved. So there was a lot about that. You know, with Wimber, when Wimber came in, he was more oriented towards church growth, which evangelism leads to church growth. But they looked at church growth more as a mechanism, you know, how, how, how to make churches grow. They're just different, you know, trying to dissect church growth and trying to apply that in a local level, as opposed to just the, the pure evangelism side of it. So that's what some of the difference that I've seen with the, you know, be, before it became a movement. Yeah, so you mean like before the movement, it was more reaching out to the loss, and after that was more like structure that up, <laughs> and also towards church growth. So using that more in a way of, of grow the churches. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so to go back to the, the Vineyard movement when it was birthed, what was like the major, what do you say, the value? What was significant with the Vineyard movement and, and how was it playing out in the coming years? I would say one of the most important values we always talk about worship is that Wimber was a musician and he was writing worship songs. So he had been writing worship songs in Calvary Chapel. And he really was influential bringing the, the focus on God, that we worship God. We're singing songs to God, not about God. You know, in, when I first came to the vineyard in the desert vineyard in 1980, they were singing more campfire kind of songs, <laughs> you know, rally around Jesus, you know. It's kind of a, yeah, campfire type songs. You know, we're clapping our hands. And and when Wimber came in, he brought the focus to actually worshiping Jesus. You know, put God in the focus. And that we're singing songs to him. We adore you. You know, yeah. So I think that was a, a major thing. The other thing was that, he worked a lot with signs and wonders and he had Lonnie Frisbee with him. You know, I have a story from a, a couple of stories with Lonnie Frisbee after this mother's day incident. So we did a new year's party together with Wembers church and Lonnie Frisbee was there. And that's the first time I ever really saw the Holy spirit really break out. And it was uh, major. I mean, it was just really uh, blew my mind. Sometime later, maybe four or five months later, Wimber came up to the Desert Vineyard and brought Lonnie Frisbee with, with him. And Wimber taught, and he led worship too. And then he started ministry, and Lonnie Frisbee came up, and he just looked out, and looked off to his right, and he waved his hand. We were about 300 people in the building, 
everyone was standing up and he just waved his hand over to the right side of the room and said, the Holy Spirit is moving over here. And that whole side of the church went down on the floor. And I mean, all at the same time, I was on the other side of the church. <laughs> so it's <laughs> absolutely mind-blowing. Yeah. But Wimber brought those focus. It was worship, spirit-empowered ministry. And I think that's really what was kind of the major focuses of the Vineyard uh, movement mm. as it was being birthed. And I mean, also this, what we used to say, like everybody gets to play and, and, and doing the stuff, were those like significant like words that came very early or was that later on that out of what happened, this was the core values? Yes, I think, I think it came out from the very, the, in the very beginning, you know, like while we were still Vineyard Christian Fellowship mode, before Wimber was a part of Vineyard at the time. See, when he came with Lonnie Frisbee and that's that story I just told, he was still Calvary Chapel of Yorba Belinda at the time. But our church was doing lab on Tuesday nights saying, everyone can do this. You can all, we can all pray for the sick. We can all pray and ask for words of knowledge. We can ask for prophetic words. So we, we were very much involved in that. And Wimber was one of those ones that kind of stoked some of that, you know, because this uh, Mother's Day happened in 1980. It was a couple of years before he came into the, the vineyard. And, and part of the tension at Calvary Chapel is that some of the pastors just didn't like the, the wild that was going on in, in, in one of their a church with their name on it. Mm. So they had issues with it. Mm. And and if we go forward in time and and also talk a little bit about the Vineyard Ranch and also something I mean that was part of the of church plants all over the world and over to us in in the Nordic and Sweden and can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, so in eighty two, no, in eighty four. Sorry, eighty four. When I I left my job and became into full time ministry at the time the ranch ministry started. So 1984 was also when I moved to Hong Kong. So we were already using the ranch for China ministry. We were training people going over to China, bringing Bibles. And when I came back in 1987, they were running the third school. So they started in 84, the third school came around 87. And in that school, two Swedes came. So. And after them, that was in 87, 1988, came four suites to the school. And also in 1988, Wimber was doing a big conference in Gothenburg, in Liesenberg. So he was doing that. And Brent had asked me to lead a group to that for that conference from our church. And we brought about 25 people from our church to that and really promoted the school. And we just promoted the school during at that place. And then we just sort of, more Swedes were coming. We had a lot of Swedes that were coming. I ended up taking over the ranch later in 1988 and 
we had a couple different types of schools. We had one called a pastor school and one that was a school of ministry. So at the pastors, when we did pastor schools in 1989, they were part of the uh, Baptist church in Broma. They came to the, the ranch and their pastor schools were not schools to become pastors. They were schools for pastors, really to learn more about the vineyard. And then in 1989, after Hans and Lotto came to the ranch, they were completely changed. And they wanted to bring more of the vineyard to, to Sweden. So there was a lot of talk between, you know, Brent and John Wimber about starting the vineyard there. So eventually... In 1992 was when the Stockholm Vineyard started. And when it started, a lot of the previous students from the ranch were a part of that core group that's, that started it all off. They, a lot of them, you know, so they were already kind of sold on, on, the, on the vineyard. And it was an easier start, I would say, that way. So Hans together with Hans Johansson and Ted Jean started that church in 1992. Yeah. Yeah. And out of the the ranch, we were, they were spinning off people that, that wanted to plant churches. So what they wanted to do, they wanted to see the vineyard come to their home country, whether it was, you know, in Australia or Germany, UK, Sweden, hmm. you know. And when did you join the the Swedish the vineyard in Sweden? I guess when I moved here, end of 1993. I think I actually arrived in 19 January, so 1994. I moved to Sweden by way of going to Siberia for a month. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of a weird way to move here. Yeah. So, but I was already engaged quite a bit already from the very beginning when the vineyard started. So in 1991, I was here at another Wimber conference in Stockholm at Philadelphia. And uh, then we were recruiting people to go to Siberia because we were going to start planting churches in Siberia. So I was coming to Sweden periodically from Siberia or, or from the States when I went back to the States. But I was in Sweden probably three or four times a year and um, just recruiting people to those places. and then. In 1992, when this church started, they also launched Livendestien, a school on Blida. And I was invited to be there as much as I wanted to in 1992, 1993, and be there to coach or whatever, and Elsa who are leaving the school. So I was already involved. Yeah, so give us a little bit about the background, how it was then like played out, if you were to say, like the, the vineyard in Sweden, Norway, and Denmark. How did they, in the end, come together as a Nordic movement? Yeah, so Denmark came in later than both Finland and Norway. So Norway, you had Shell Asmundrud, who had started the Oslo vineyard. And they disconnected with Hans, you know, basically through conferences. We'd have conferences and they would come and, you know, be a part of that. And how Vineyard Nordic kind of came about was, you know, we were doing summer camps. I would say a lot, a lot through the summer camp. This is my perspective. 
and I could be really wrong, and Ted may have some other things to say about the, about this, you know, but when we are doing started doing summer camps, you know, those other nations started to come around and, uh, you know, to, to be invited or be a part of it. And I think that's what really sparked a lot of the movement forward in both Norway and Denmark. But I think it was really a lot through the summer camps that it really gelled together. Mm. And eventually, the vineyard leadership you know, they saw Hans being uh, the the leader of all of that, you know, so then they kind of blessed the vineyard and Nordic countries, mm. you know, as, as kind of an entity. Yeah, it was more like a natural way of like starting off as being together on the summer, in the summers, and then it just grew out of there, maybe the, the movement. Yeah, I mean, pretty, pretty quickly, because I think the movement was 1998, when they laid hands on Hans and Lotte and the, the Vineyard Nordic leadership at the time. And Wimber had died the year previously, but they kind of modeled it after what they were doing in other places like, like the Vineyard Dach, which is, you know, Germany, Austria, and Switzerland, mm. a shared language, more or less. Mm. So when the vineyards started in Stockholm, there was just a lot of energy. And of course, you had the Toronto Blessing came 1984. So the church was about a year and a half old, maybe, at the time. And Hans had a vision. His vision was to plant 100 churches in I don't know how many years. So there was a lot of talk about church planting. At the same time, you had people uh, were coming to the ranch and then coming back home to Sweden and seeing that there's already now a vineyard church there, you know? So they they came to the Stockholm Vineyard, and then they were in the Stockholm Vineyard for a while. You had a cluster of other students who had been to the ranch, and it's kind of somehow waiting and hoping there can be a vineyard church. And then there was just a lot of other, other movements. People wanted to start churches, and Hans wanted to see 100 churches. So there was a lot of of buzz about starting churches. Mm. Thank you. So if we were to summarize this talk a little bit, what do you hope and wish would, Paul, or what do you want people to get out of this episode today of everything we've been talking about? Well, I would say my hope would be that people would see that, you know, there's a lot of different churches in Sweden and their valid expressions. But I, my hope is that we would see that the vineyard really does have a place in the Swedish society. But I think we also need to look outside of our walls, outside of our church gathering, and look and see what God is doing outside of that. Sometimes I think that we focus a little bit too much on our particular church. And like I say, just keeping it going. And we neglect to look to see what's out there beyond our walls. So I'm hoping that people would get some some kind of perspective on being missional in their home place. Mm. I see missional stuff going on all the time, but I'd like to see that become more of a focus in our churches, how we can reach people beyond our walls. Yeah, would you say like a, a phrase that maybe are quite common these days, but to reimagine church in a way, that's maybe what you're yeah. trying to say. Yeah, because the church is really for outside the walls, actually. Yeah. 
Yeah, that sounds good. I think that's something for us to take with us. I think that's relevant for all of us to really all the time think twice, think one more time. Do we just do things to protect something from falling apart? Or can we look more outside our walls today and see are there other opportunities in order to see more people meet Jesus and to be able to bring healing to cities and people around us? I think that's a really important thing to to bear with us in our lives. Very good. And thank you so much for being a part of this conversation today. And I really hope that you will be fully recovered from your diseases or from Corona. That's been quite challenging the last couple of months for you. And I hope to see you soon. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you want to follow the Vina Nordic movement and everything that is happening, you can go to Facebook and Instagram and follow us under Vineyard Nordic. You can also help us by subscribing to this podcast on the different podcast platforms. When doing that, you will also get an update every time we have a new episode out. So again, thank you and see you again next time. Bye bye.